0: Our reading this morning is from Ephesians 3, 10-21. You can follow along in the Sanctuary Bible in front of you, or your own Bible if you brought it with you today. A few words of introduction first, before we go to our reading. This is the third in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. The major theme of this sermon series is identity in Christ, the idea That we find out who we are, our true identity, not in anything else in this world, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ and that we are in Christ. The first week, we looked at Ephesians 1 and we found that Paul there spoke about a mystery that was being revealed. This mystery, and around which almost all of Ephesians then rotates, is, is found in chapter 1, verse 10, which goes like this. That God's plan is for the entire creation to be drawn together under the lordship of Jesus Christ, including us. And there, we would then have access to God as he presents us to God as pure and holy and blameless in his sight. So our identity is that we are people who are destined by God to come into his presence through the work of Jesus Christ and be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's our identity. Last week was week two, and that talked about, from Ephesians chapter 2, that part of our identity is also that there is an end to hostility between us and other people. For Paul, it was the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, which was a problem for the early church. And so he had to set about telling how Christ, by his blood on the cross, abolished and destroyed that hostility that existed between people so that our identity is people who are reconciled to each other through the blood of the cross and brought by Jesus under his lordship into the presence of God. That's who we are. This week, this mystery idea is going to be fleshed out even more. Paul gives it a little bit more detail. And we find in this week that God institutes a partner for this great mission that he has for the world. That partner is the church. So today's sermon is about the church. And the church is a place where this has somewhat already happened, but it is a foretaste to the rest of the world about what heaven looks like. So with that introduction, I'd like to go ahead to our reading, Ephesians 3, 10 through 21. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him... And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we ask that you would add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a love-hate relationships with previews at the movies. You guys with me? What I love about the previews is that it allows me to get to the movie late, and I won't miss the movie, because there's like 20 minutes of previews ahead of time. I also like the previews because they give me a little bit of a taste of a future movie coming up, and usually it's the most interesting parts, or if it's a comedy, it's all the best punchlines. If it's an action scene, it's all the best action moments in the movie. You could argue that it then ruins the movie for you because you've you've seen all the best parts ahead of time. But if a, a preview is done well, it piques your interest in a movie that's about to come out. And if you think about it in the right way, it can even enhance your enjoyment of that future movie. You're like, I've been waiting for this movie with anticipation. Now when it finally comes, I've got this sense of accomplishment and satisfaction that the movie is now here. What I hate about the previews is exactly the same thing, though as you have to wait so long for the movie to come out. If any of you have been to the, Bat, the new Batman movie now, that was the first time that they showed a preview for the new Superman movie that's coming out. It's called Man of Steel. It looks great. Does anyone here know when the Man of Steel movie is scheduled to come out? Thursday, June thirteenth, two 2013. Ten and a half months. You have to wait for Man of Steel to come out and they tease you with this preview now. And in my mind, I would rather almost not know about that movie at all. I don't want to know about it if I have to wait ten and a half months for it to come about. I just would rather not know. Tell me about it two months in advance. I can handle that. But it's a marketing ploy. They want people to start thinking about that movie and when Christmas comes around, they're going to show another preview in front of the Christmas blockbuster movies, and it's going to reveal a little bit more of the storyline, and some people who sit around and blog all day are going to take these little tattered pieces of patchwork and going to try to quilt together some sense of what the overall narrative of a two-hour movie is going to be based on about two and a half minutes of footage. Good luck to them, right? And then they're going to go to the movie, and they're going to wait 20 hours in line for it, and they're going to be incredibly disappointed because it's not going to be the movie that they imagined. All right, that happens all the time. So I'd almost rather not have 10 and a half months. I don't want to wait that long. Why am I talking about previews, movie previews? The mystery that Paul talks about in chapter three, but also in chapter one, is something like a preview of a movie that's going to come out. It's about something that's coming, that's already here in some respect, but the totality of it is not here yet. Let me explain. When Jesus was on the earth with his disciples, he started revealing everything to them. I mean, he gave them not just a preview, but he gave them pretty much the whole thing. He explained everything he could to the disciples. He gave them a preview of heaven. The problem was that the disciples just didn't get it. You read through the scriptures and you realize from the questions that they asked Jesus to the stupid things that they say, they weren't getting it they were, Jesus was kind of like, these guys are dense. I'm going to have to do something to figure this, help them figure this out. So while he was alive, they didn't get it. Then he died on the cross. That was the moment that they really didn't get it, all right? Because they said, ah, this is the end. We're doomed. This is not working out the way we thought. They're all looking for other jobs. or sending their resume out to Yahoo and all the rest. And, It wasn't working for them. They really didn't get it. Then he was raised from the dead two days later. Some of them walked on the road with him to Emmaus, and they started to get it because he started to explain it to them, and they realized who he was, and they ran back and told the others, and they kind of started to get it. Then 50 days later at Pentecost, Jesus kind of gave up on them getting it, and he sent the Holy Spirit to give it to them, and then they got it. And then they started preaching it because the Holy Spirit allowed them to understand it and they started transmitting it. So it was something that they always had, but they didn't quite grasp. The fullness of it was already there, but it wasn't completely revealed to them. Even Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, the problem with what we understand about God is that we see in a glass kind of darkly. It's like imagine a mirror mirror that's really foggy because the, the hot water's been running in the sink. And the time is coming when somebody's going to come with a big squeegee and straighten that out so you can see clearly. But that time is not quite yet. There's something that we're looking forward to. That's, and so in that sense, this life is a preview. What we have now is a preview of what's yet to come. Look at verse 9 and 10 in your Bible. If you have the NIV, I'm going to read it for you. To make plain, and this is what uh, Paul says that Jesus Christ is asking us to do, the apostles and, and their followers, is to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, the passing on of this preview. To make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things, but his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, I'll get to what that means later, that part about rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. Now that the mystery has been revealed, God needs someone to administer that mystery, That Greek word for administer there is is the word oikonomia. It means to administer a household almost. That's the way it was most often used. To manage the work of a household, the, the household's communication, the household's schedule, the household's budget, making sure that the household did what the household needed to do to function in the society it was in. So the church's job is to administer the mystery, to manage this preview. Now, I have to admit that administer is not my favorite word. I wonder if God could have picked a different word, but this is the one we're to administer this mystery. But, But it's what God wants done. He wants us to take care of this mystery. He wants us to manage it like we manage a household. Let me give you an example. If you work in product development, maybe you're an engineer, your company probably has a marketing department. And at some point in the product's life cycle, that product is going to be made known to the rest of the world. So other companies that need to buy it and budget for it and plan for its existence can know about it. And they can go out and buy it at the right time. And so marketing really wants to make sure that something stays on message. And and that's kind of what administering this mystery is like. To make sure that people don't add anything to that message to make sure that people don't take anything away from that message, to make sure the message retains its fundamental, original meaning, and that that message should go out and do what it was intended to do, to accomplish the purpose for which that information was released or revealed. So in your business, perhaps you know what it means to manage information or to manage a message. God is telling the church, in essence, I've given you the task of being the administrator of my mystery. I want you to manage my message while I'm not there. Early on, this administration of the mystery was left to the apostles as they worshipped in the early church. That's how this message was managed. That's how it got out. Christian worship 2,000 years ago was really different than it was today. I mean, you can just imagine how many things were different 2,000 years ago, but then it was very different. Obviously, no PowerPoint. No air-conditioned buildings, no air conditioning. They met in secret because they were afraid. They would meet in the cellar of somebody's house in small groups. They would meet outside the city gates on the edge of town that nobody walked along because they wanted to be alone. They would sing hymns in low voices so that nobody could hear them. And they had these beautiful hymns that they sang about Jesus. Hymns that we still have, actually, in our New Testament. You look in Philippians, you'll find a few hymns. You look in Romans, you'll find a few hymns and prayers that the early church said. If you look in Ephesians, especially in the latter part of this chapter, chapter 3, you'll find a prayer or a hymn or both that the early church must have used. They had this beautiful way of worshiping together. When they were done singing, one of the apostles would get up and talk. It would be Peter or James, John, maybe Matthew. And they would start to tell stories to the whole crowd. They'd tell stories about the birth of Jesus, about his life and what he did. They would tell these stories about the miraculous acts he did, how he had power over nature, how he could make food appear out of nowhere, how he could heal people who were blind or lame or otherwise. They would talk about his teachings, what he said about life and how we were to live. They would talk about his death on the cross and then they would talk about his resurrection and they would talk about his promise to come again and they'd hold on to that hope. And then the apostle would stop talking and that early church would then baptize any new people who joined them. And sometimes people would become Christians right on the spot just by hearing what the apostle said about Jesus and those people would be baptized right there and then. And after that, they'd sit down to a meal together. And they would share the cup and they'd share the bread and they would break it together and they would remember Jesus and they'd hope for this day when he would come back. Those early apostles were administering the mystery of God by worshiping in that early church. That's how it was done. A problem came up, though. Over time those apostles started to die. They got old, they got sick, some of them were taken. Sometimes churches that grew and the church was growing, a new church would start in a town where there wasn't a church or where there weren't any apostles already there. So people would have to remember what this message was. They'd have to start managing and administering it themselves or they'd have to remember the words of Jesus. They'd have to remember these hymns. They'd have to remember all the rituals that they did, like baptism and communion. And so four people set out, and they said, we're going to organize all this. We're going to write it all down, and we're going to give it to a literate group of people so that they can pass it on and on and on. And so we had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John administering this mystery for us. And the reason we're here this morning, two churches, the reason these two churches exist in this building right now is because Jesus commissioned his church to manage his message And administer his mystery throughout thousands of years until this moment, right now. And so you're sitting in a church which now is just one expression of the larger Christian church in the world that includes all denominations, almost all, there's some really messed up ones, not them, uh, other independent churches. If you want a list, I'll give you one at the end of the service, but... uh, all of the, this whole large church, capital C, in the world, has been commissioned by Jesus to be a preview of heaven to the world. I'm going to talk about that. Not only is the church supposed to manage the message by keeping track of the Gospels and the Bible and all those things that we've done, and by continuing to worship and, and have Holy Communion and Holy Baptism. Christ's intention for the church was that it would be a reflection of the reality that the, tr- that the Bible talks about. Not just passing on information, but a lived out present reality of what heaven already looks like. Paul talks about this in chapter 1, where he talks about all these things that have already happened to people that he's writing to. He says, you've already been chosen from before the beginning of creation to have this relationship with God. You've already been made pure and holy and blameless in God's sight so that you can be ushered into God's presence. All these things have already happened to you because you are in the church. So church, I'm speaking to you now. Already, All these things have already happened for you. You're already in relationship with Jesus Christ. You are already renewed and made holy for God. And so Jesus' plan was not just information, but a lived-out reality of what heaven looks like here on this planet. One big objection that may come up in your mind, certainly comes up in mind, is that how can the church do that? How can the church be a lived-out reality of what heaven looks like here on earth? It's a tall task. I think the biggest problem is that the church is imperfect. Can I get an amen to that, a really loud one? Amen. The church is full of imperfect people and it's led by imperfect people. Okay? It is. The church is broken. It's flawed. It's full of flaws. There's some good news. The church doesn't need to be perfect to administer the mystery. It's enough that the church has a perfect Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's enough that the church has a perfect creator, and sustainer, God the Father. It's enough that the church has the Holy Spirit to accompany it and guide it and give it peace and inspire it to administer this mystery and live out what it means to be heaven here on earth. The church isn't perfect, but it does something that's important. And it's an organization that's really different from any other organization in this world. You're in a weird place right now. There's nobody else really that's gathering on Sunday morning to listen to somebody talk. Everybody else is out riding their bikes, eating, drinking Starbucks, or reading the New York Times in their bed right now. Am I right? That's what everybody else, as far as I can tell, that's what everybody else is doing right now, unless you're at church. You are in a weird organization right now. Here you are. Welcome. Here you are. It's so unlike any other institution in this world. It's not like any business, it's not like any club, it's not like a government, it's not like um, a corporation or a nation state or any of those things. And to the extent that it's different from other things in the world, it probably should be run differently from other things in the world because it has a different basis, it has a different foundation. It has a different goal and a different mission and we have to watch if the church ends up being run a lot like how other organizations are run, that could be a a red flag that we need to pay attention to and make sure that our foundation, our origin, our source, our mission, our goal have not slipped into looking like something else in the world. That's just an aside. But when you serve the church, when you participate in the church, you are serving something so much higher than any organization in this world. If you're on a committee, if you're on a board, if you're helping to usher, if you're helping to worship, if you're helping to set up communion, if you are participating in worship by singing or standing or praying, if you live out your Christian vocation in the world as your career, five days, maybe six days a week, but you do it as a member of a church and a follower of Jesus Christ, you are participating in something that is so much higher and loftier than anything else in the world. Nothing in life can compare to it. Now, I sometimes used to wonder what it was about church that got people to spend so much of their time and treasure and talent on it, more than most other organizations ever get from people, certainly. Why would people give so much to the church? When I read Ephesians, it was answered for me. The church is about something that is so much more important than anything else in life that it just makes sense. When people capture that, when they understand it, then the floodgates open and they serve their church. And I thank you for that. As a pastor, I thank you for that. When you participate in the church, you are participating in God's plan to bring all of creation under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When you participate in the church you are participating in God's plan to bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is nothing in all the world in all of human history for all time that any human could do that is more important than that. It's important. There's one last thing and I want you to to imagine with me. I'd like you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Imagine that you're in a movie theater. The chairs here are a little bit like movie theaters, but no cup holders. Imagine you arrived on time, so you're in time for the previews. You may have a little bit of soda and popcorn with you that you're going to set aside for later to munch on. The last bit of Jostling and bustling is done as people take off their jackets and put them on their laps. You settle in, the house lights go down, and the preview comes on the screen. And you see a preview about a world where there's no hostility between people. About a movie where everyone has this overriding and unifying sense of purpose and mission. And they combine their talents in this movie, these people. They're like superheroes that each has their own ability, and they work together to defeat this seemingly invincible enemy by their work together. And there's romance in this movie, too. There's this protagonist, and he has the love of his life, his bride. And there's this tragic death where he lays down his life to save his wife. And there's darkness. But then this miraculous recovery when he comes back. And because of that, all people are ushered into the presence of the most powerful being in the universe. And then the preview ends. And you think that you're going to have to wait until Christmas to see a little bit more of it. And you're going to have to wait ten and a half months to see the whole movie. And you're a little impatient. But in a strange twist, the preview that you just saw is for the movie you came here to see. And you don't have to wait because the movie's already here. The preview ends and the movie begins. And now open your eyes. Go ahead and open your eyes. And the movie opens to the scene that you are seeing right now. Look around. Look around at all the people in this room. This is the movie that you're seeing and you're in it. You're watching a movie with you in it. You see a bunch of people in this movie and they're worshiping together with God and they're hearing his word and they're receiving his sacraments and they're using their gifts and they're going into the world to proclaim the good news of access to God through Jesus Christ. You are the movie. We are the church. God makes this reality from a mystery and he puts it into our community and we live it out. The church is a living reality of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. It's real. You're in the movie right now. To the rest of the world, it's a preview. They look into the church and they get a glimpse of what heaven will someday be like. You are in the church. You are experiencing right now what heaven is like and will be like. That's why it's so important that when you leave here, that you remember that as part of the church, you are a living preview to others of what God has in store for the world. Now, this is a big job. It's a big responsibility to go out these doors and be a living preview of the world, of, of the kingdom of God to the rest of the world. Paul knows this. Paul is writing to a church that he knows is going to have to be a preview to the world, a church that has to administer God's mystery. And so Paul is going to go and ask the biggest source of power that he knows to help that church do it, to help that church live into it, to help that church go into the world and live it out. He goes to God. And he concludes our passage today from verse 14 on with this heart. Felt prayer and it's a prayer for the church it's a prayer for us and I think through the thousands of years that separated Paul and us he he's praying for us this morning the prayer he prayed then he's praying for us and I want us to hear it prayed over us with fervor prayed for us by Paul that God would bless both our churches as we serve as a preview of heaven to the world so I'm going to conclude with Paul's prayer starting in verse 14